This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 Fall Conference. The theme of the conference was the five solas. Iowa State University CF Director Luke Anderson shares on scripture alone. We hope this is encouraging. And to wake us up a little bit, I'm going to start this morning with a story. I love telling stories, and for those of you who know me, you like to ask some of my fun stories, like the second time I was struck by lightning, or the time I came across a rattlesnake, or the time I came, was confronted by a blind bear and got away because it was blind. <laughs> but my favorite type of stories are the ones that actually changed lives. That changed my life. That set a trajectory that, that didn't just affect one, but affected thousands, millions. And this is one of those stories. I'd like to take you back to a time and place long, long ago in a country far, far away. A mystical land flowing with milk and honey, with bratwurst and beer. German. <laughs> the day was November 1st, 1516, All Saints Day, at Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. On this day, inside this impressive church, stood beautifully adorned tables and pedestals, and set on display were relics, many, many relics. There was a morsel of bread from the Last Supper, a cut of fabric from the swaddling cloth of baby Jesus, 13 pieces of his crib, a strand of straw from the manger, a piece of gold from a wise man, three pieces of myrrh. A few hairs from the head of Mary, and three pieces cut from her cloak. But the pinnacle of this particular collection was the rock that Jesus stood on before he ascended into heaven and stood at the right hand of God. And there were many, many more relics, including 13, over 13,000 bones of the saints. This was the proud collection of Frederick the Wise, Elector of Saxony, and Martin Luther's Prince. On this day, there wasn't just pomp and circumstance and celebration because of the collection. It was a, a special day for the prince because he was about to be awarded an indulgence. An indulgence is an issuance or a certificate guaranteeing that the buyer um, would have their time either reduced or remitted in purgatory up to 1,902,202 years and 270 days. And indulgence was the full or partial remission of sin. In a complicated, in a complicated set of political affairs involving Albert of Brandenburg and Pope Leo X, with, which John got into at greater length, Pope Leo was utilizing the selling of indulgences to help fund the finishing of construction of St. Peter's Basilica. Pope Leo issued plenary indulgences. These would apparently, this is what he promised, would turn the sinner to a state of innocence before God. Not even the sin of raping Mary, the mother of God could outweigh the efficacy of these indulgences. Even the horrors of years in purgatory could now be removed. And if this was not good enough, one also had the opportunity to buy an indulgence for one 
one's loved one who was already in purgatory. And that person didn't even have to be repentant. With the appropriate amount of money, the grace of God was now for sale with enough gold. If like me, as you hear this point in history, you feel a little sick. That someone would demean God so much and lie so disgustingly to people. Then I think we're in the same heart as Martin Luther. This is what drove him. It drove him to risk his life. It drove him to try to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't give up on it. He tried to reform it, and he knew he would be opposing the leaders. And what he experienced was the threats of his life. He was called a heretic. They could have killed him. Why did Martin Luther feel this way? Why do we feel this way? It's because we saw, he saw these actions, the actions of the Pope, the actions of the church at the time, as violating the holy word of God. How did the church get to this point? Indulgences were just one symptom of a much bigger problem. Even though papal infallibility would not be <clears throat> official dogma until the First Vatican Council of 1870. It was common practice at the church at this time and even before this time to treat the authority of the Pope as supreme on earth, even higher than this. One of the issues that the Catholic Church you know, one example would be one of the, the challenges that they faced is they believed that there was mystical things in here that only the Pope could understand and interpret and convey. And so, let's say, let's take an example. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with fish and loaves, the Pope would say there's hidden meaning behind why Jesus chose fish and loaves. And only I can tell you. Then he can tell you whatever he wanted. by what Luther posed and what many believed is we should treat the Bible just like the early church did, which is that the clear meaning is exactly what God was trying to tell us. There was no hidden meaning behind the fish and loaves, and so if that boy that the disciples had found just happened to have meatloaf on him, the 5,000 would have had meatloaf, and there would have been 12 baskets of meatloaf left over. The reason Jesus used fed with fish and loaves is because that's what he had, because the people were hungry and he had compassion on them and he had more to teach them. And just like all of his miracles, they declared that his preaching wasn't just good and intriguing. It was coming from the Son of God. But effectively, at this time, the practice was that the, what the Pope declared was, in fact, the Word of God. And one of the key passions, passages, there we go, that, uh, that Luther saw that this conflicted with was 2 Timothy 2, or 3, 16 and 17. And so if you guys want to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. <clears throat> the context of this verse here 
is that Paul was in Rome. He would be dead soon, and he writes this letter to Timothy, his dear son in the faith. And at this point, he's giving him, he's instructing him, this is what you need to persevere. This is what the church needs to persevere. So let me read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 for you. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul starts in with all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Paul is writing that and affirming that all scripture, the whole thing, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole thing is actually the word of God. And Paul is just saying things that were already affirmed by Jesus, which is always great to when you hear a statement later on in the New Testament. It's like, oh, well, Jesus said it too. If you read the Gospels, you'll see over and over and over again, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. And these aren't moments where he's literally quoting the words of God recorded in the Old Testament. These are the quotes from the human authors, where the human authors were speaking. And Jesus says, thus says the Lord. He's saying the whole thing is the word of God. And then we come to a beautiful moment in John 16. Jesus is about to face the cross. He's about to leave the disciples. And he tells them, there's more that you need. But you'll need it to know how to walk in a world in which I'm not still here. He commissions the New Testament. In John 16, 12 through 15, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is saying there's a, there's a passing of authority of, of the words coming from Father to Son, the Holy Spirit, and to the apostles. He is commissioning the New Testament, and we see that the apostles knew exactly what they were doing. They understood this and believed it. One of the moments where we see this, there's, there's multiple moments where they treat each other's writings as scripture, but here in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 17, we see Peter talk about Paul's writings. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing that beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Peter calls Paul's letters scripture. He treats them as the word of God. 
So all scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, is profitable, is profitable. Now, one of the reasons I want you guys to open your Bibles is you may not have an answer. If you have a CSB or one of the other translations, the, there's a word here, breathed out, and that word instead is inspired. You have it interpreted inspired. It's where we get the theology of the inspiration of Scripture, that God inspired this Scripture. However, the Greek word here is theopanustos. Theo meaning God, and panu or panustos meaning breathed out, blown on. And so, I think the ESV has got it right with breathed out by God. Right now, as I'm speaking to you guys, as I exhale, as I speak, I breathe out, and out comes my words. What Paul is claiming is that when the authors of the Bible put pen to parchment, when they wrote, quite literally, the words of God are, are here. The voice of God. When we open this book, the voice of God comes out. This is the same voice that spoke and there was, said, let there be, and there became stars, moons, oceans, that at a word, the storm still, and was quiet. The word of God. Notice Paul doesn't say, Every inspired word is useful, or every scripture that is breathed out by God is useful. That would mean that there are some scriptures, whatever those may be, that are not inspired by God, are not useful. No, Paul is emphatically clear. Every scripture is breathed out by God. Is God literally speaking and is profitable? Because this is the word of God. And I don't know if that's even hitting you guys right now. That's Christian words. You've heard it before. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. You get it. You open this book and God speaks. You know what God wants and has for you in life? You have questions. You're in a dark place and you need comforting and you want to know what he thinks or says. Here. He said this is better. Jesus said this is better than literally me staying on this planet. This is better than you going out for coffee with Jesus once a week. This is what you need for life and for godliness. But we don't get it, do we? This is the word of God. And we see that it will teach us, reprove us, correct us. Which means it has authority over us. We do not have authority over it. We don't get to say, this is what I wish it said or what I wanted to say. It, this is God's authority over us, over the world. And just to be clear, because reality has a hard time sinking in for me too, is if we don't listen to the ultimate authority, if we reject it, if we put it down on a shelf and ignore it, we are rebelling against the authority of God.
don't know if you've ever thought how terrifying it would be to be one of God's, a rebel against him. But we do it. Many days out of the year, don't we? We will be wrong. Our friends will be wrong. Pastors may be wrong. Popes may be wrong. But God is always right. Every single time. Why do we? Why do we ignore it? Why do we not want to open this sometimes? Why do we take it out and, and not actually want to open it? Why do we not do everything we already know we should do because we have read it? Why not? There's a, uh, there's a sad reality that we doubt, that we fear. And it breaks my heart because I do it too. There are days where I get out my Bible and I set it on my lap and I don't want to open it. but I don't want to. Some of the things I have found in my heart as I have tried to wrestle through, why not? Has been honestly, for the most part, I forgot the gospel. I went to bed remembering it and I woke up and I am not believing something at the moment. Sometimes it's, I'm afraid that God's going to tell me something hard. I'm afraid God doesn't love me. In college, this was often the problem. But one thing that killed my heart to open and hear God and do what he said was sin. Nothing kills my love for God faster. Nothing kills it faster. And so I didn't want to open it because I was afraid that I would open and I'd hear nothing but disappointment from God. I forgot the gospel. And I remember it over and over and over again. Just like Eric encouraged us to. Because the reality is, God, God's the one who made a promise to send his son to come and live and die for me. And he, he made that promise and kept that promise over generation and generation of unfaithful I'll be polite. Jerks. Who didn't love him. Who didn't keep their end. But it was a covenant, so it was only dependent upon his goodness and his faithfulness, and so he kept it. And if he can keep that promise, he will keep every single promise he has made in his word. The word of God can be trusted. And this is the God who through Christ, Jesus came, he lived, he died, and I don't know if you guys get it, but right now he's at the right hand of God, and it's, he, he doesn't make it as if when you looked at pornography, when you slandered your friend behind their back, when you lied, he doesn't make it as if you never did. He makes it as if you always were pure. 
as if you always loved, as if you always told the truth, as if you... He makes it as if you were him today. That's what he testifies to. We have the righteousness of Christ. If you open this book, you're going to find love and grace. And that's what I have to remember. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I want to. All of a sudden, I'm excited. And I don't know if, if what I just talked about, I was just trying to be real about what I go through. I don't know if what I talked about hit exactly the thing that you are afraid of as to why you don't love this. I don't know if you guys love the voice of God, but I want you to ask the question. If you feel, if you recognize, I'm not excited about this. This is literally the voice that spoke the world into creation. It is the power to separate bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Some of you have experienced this as you've read this and been transformed by it, as God has spoken to you. But it's something that we absolutely have to ask. Why do we not love this? Why do we not memorize and meditate it on day and night? Why do we not have this be the first thing to say to somebody that we want to encourage? We have reasons, and it takes time to figure out why. As your brother, please, please, I beg of you, don't belittle or ignore the voice of our God. Remember the gospel. He's good. In 2 Timothy 2, God's word declares that we will not be complete, equipped for every good work, unless God, through his word, teaches us, reproves us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. Which, by the way, this isn't just an individual, this is corporate. He's telling the next chapter, Timothy, do the, use this to do that, to preach it, to teach it, to rebuke the church to train the church, to equip the church. Go figure, why am I reading the Bible to you right now? It's just what these guys have been doing for the last day and a half. So what does it look like to be taught? What is the thought here of being taught by the word? The word in the idea of being taught is it shows us the way to go, the way of God, the way of life. And then the word reproves us. The idea of being reproved is that, that while we are being shown the way, we are confronted with things that we either need to stop doing or start doing to get on that way, to follow God. In James 1, 22-24, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For while he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. He forgets the way. He forgets what it means to be the son or daughter of God. When I was in college, I was uh, 
when I was 21, there was a uh, something I really, really wanted. And so I was living in my life in a way to pursue it. But all the wise people around me who loved me kept saying, Luke, no, this is bad. This is not good. This is not good. I wasn't asking God about it because I didn't want to hear his answer. And I was ignoring them. And so I kept pursuing it. And then, fortunately, I had a lot of good friends. My best friend wrote a verse on a card and then put it on my pillow. I came home that night. And I looked down on my pillow right before I went to bed. And I saw Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And I thought, dang, I'm a fool. The word of God reproved me. And I repented. And praise God, I turned. I am so thankful. The word of God corrects us. God corrects us. The idea of being corrected here is that while we are going, our natural way is crooked. And the word here, correction, literally means to straighten out. We need to be straightened out by the word. We're crooked, and we need to get straight. And the word of God trains us. Just like when we were kids. Your mom and dad had to tell you, don't play with fire. Otherwise, you're going to kill us all. <laughs> don't play with the kitchen knives. For my youngest, Emma, I have four beautiful kids. My youngest, when she was learning how to walk, even before she could walk, she would climb bookshelves and then jump off. Potter <laughs> and praise God, otherwise I would be one less child right now. <laughs> We need to be trained what to eat, how to do life, how to interact with people, how to thrive and survive this world. Likewise, the Word of God trains us as to how to live, how to survive and thrive in life. So that we will be complete and equipped. The Word of God is sufficient. One of the errors, one of the problems of the church at that time, and it can feel that way today, we can still believe the same lie today, is that we need more. It's missed. God's holding out on us. This doesn't have everything we need. This is what we'll have enough. It has what we need. And one thing I do want to clarify in this moment as a natural question after that is, so if the word of God is enough, then do I need to go to school? Do I need to read any other book outside of the Bible? I'll just answer that real quick. I'll give you a longer answer later. But the simple answer is Paul's not talking about that. The Bible does not train us to do open heart surgery or how to fix a car or how to build bridges. But the Word of God does teach us what type of scientists to be, doctors to be, who we will be in those moments, which is far more important than the thing itself. How to do life. A scientist who does not love people and fear God is terrifying. A 
If I have a financial manager and he is not trustworthy because he fears God, I am scared for my finances. That's everything that we need for life and for godliness. To have life, as Jesus put it, have to have life to the full. The word of God has everything to meet you in every season of life. God's word has brought me and met me. For those of you who know me for a little bit, you've known how hard the last six years have been. I've watched my kids be sick. I thought I was dying this last January for three weeks. This is where I went. This is the, the God who helps me love my wife. How to raise my kids. It's the guy who comforts me on my hardest days. And I can't even tell you how much harder it is to watch your kid hurt than you. God is the one who helps me know and tells me he cares. And tells me he's in control. And because all of that is true, I can have what it says. Joy, always. Even in my darkest hours. And here I find that there are things that will count, and ways I can live that will count forever. That will even carry over to the new heaven and the new earth. Which, by the way, that's my retirement policy right there. I'm aiming for that. I don't care if I have a nice house or a nice car. But I want the most glorious being in the universe to say, well done my good and faithful servant. Which, by the way, I might die tomorrow. I don't know. You've probably heard me say over and over again, we need this, we need this, we need this, which is absolutely right. We do need this. But if that is all you've heard, then you've missed a little bit. We get to. We get to have the word of God in front of us every single day. We are spoiled here in the U.S. You can have multiple translations in front of you every single day. There are churches in this world who only maybe have one. There are churches in some countries who don't even have the fullness translated for them in their own language. We are spoiled. We get to have the word of God in our lives. We get to. We get to hear God speak to us, literally speak to us through his word. And all we have to, all we have to do is open, listen, understand, and be changed. All we have to do is actually listen and obey. And we love life, life to the full. It actually isn't that hard. There are times when I have taught this, but I have then wanted to give application that uh, is a full list of how to interpret the word well, how to understand this well, how to read well, which are basically just how to read and understand things well. But I've been talking to a lot of pastors. And no matter how elite the theologian is, all of us have taken classes on how to read the Bible, understanding historical context so that we can understand what it's saying at that time to that audience, which is all really, really good and really, really helpful. 
But where we all started, we first start hearing the voice of God and our lives are being changed. No matter how young or immature we were, this is where we started. We just read it. We asked a lot of questions so that we could understand it. And then we just did it. That's what I want to call you guys to do. Just read it. Ask a lot of questions. If you don't, if you're wondering what it is, Blake gave testimony to a time in which one brother blessed him by simply doing, read it and ask lots of what questions. What does it say? And then how does that change our lives? And it obviously affected Blake. And if you guys would like to learn more, or even have that list, a list of good questions on how to ask, what good questions to ask as you get this, I want you guys to go to your directors. I want you to go to your pastors. I want them to teach you. That's their job. To train you guys how to listen to God. There's something in the going, not just having something handed to you. If you want it, great. You know where to find it. So just read it. Ask lots of questions and do it. God speaks through his word. Always has, always will. God teaches through his word, reproves through his word, corrects through his word, trains in righteousness through his word. And not just you and I will be complete, but his whole church will be through his word. Just like he has always done in all the generations before us. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.